You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Episode 17 of the Over a Drink podcast. Welcome. We have another Zoom episode today. You can't see that you're listening to this, but if you um, are paying attention, you might be able to notice the difference because it just sounds a little bit different. Today, I have a guest who, honestly, we met five minutes ago. Um, We've talked on the phone. uh, We talked on the phone for about an hour a week ago. And then uh, today, here we are, we're, we're, we're creating, uh, we're, we're sharing a story. Uh, there's power in story and the story is written by the most powerful. And so therefore we are just mouthpieces and that's super cool that we get to do that today. Uh, today I'm meeting with a friend who the first episode on this was Mark Ray. Uh, that would have been 16 weeks ago. Wow. Four months ago, Mark Ray came on and Mark actually talked about my guest, Andrew, and he said that he would reach out and talk to him about this. And then (laughs) a week ago, Mark's wife was like, Hey, this guy's name has been on my heart. I don't know why I'm just going to be obedient and I'm going to tell you about him. And so this podcast is very Holy spirit driven. Um, I think everything in life should be Holy spirit driven. And so I reached out to Andrew and here we are, we have him on and we are uh, Andrew. Hey, um, how's it going? It's going well, Mitch. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for everything you're doing here with the over a drink podcast. I think it's truly something unique and very much needed. So appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I want to give you a chance, uh, elevator pitch, uh, of yourself. You got 45 seconds to tell me about yourself and then I'm getting off the elevator. How would you do that? Ready? Go. Uh, I am a Christian husband, father, uh, hard worker at compassion international, which is a great ministry that releases children from poverty in Jesus's name and love drumming. I love the outdoors, and if you and I were going to hang out, it would probably be throwing horseshoes or playing Settlers of Catan or maybe climbing somewhere. I don't know. Um, Don't do a ton of like, I'm not like that. I used to be a hardcore video gamer, not a video gamer just anymore. I just love to really connect with other men in my life over uh, fun things and deep things, so Hopefully that's my 45 seconds. And yeah. I would it was insert my phone number that you would call me at if you wanted to get to <laughs> No, that's amazing. That's wow. Um, settlers. I'm a big settlers fan. I am too big to do any kind of climbing. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I do enjoy horseshoes. Uh, I love the fact that without hesitation, it was Christian husband, father, than work uh, that was just on the top of your brain. I think mm. a lot of times as I'm writing these show notes, I make an emphasis. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed it. If you have, maybe now you will. When I'm describing these men that I'm talking to, I it's always in that order. Um, Andrew is a husband, father, and then what he does. Um, so-and-so is husband, father. And because that's important. I think the world tries so hard to make us be defined by what we do and not who we mm. are. Uh, and you are a husband first, uh, which as a, as a 
guy who does not have kids, but has a baby coming. I've had multiple people speak into me how important it is to remember that you are a husband first. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that's hard when you love something. I can't imagine um, how much I'm going to love my daughter when she's in my arms, but Mm. wife is always first Mm. husband first. Um, And so um, I, I really appreciate you for that. Um, So I actually don't know when Andrew and I were talking uh, on the phone, he's like, do you kind of want to spark notes of my testimony? And I said, no, Um, because I want selfishly, I like to, have these conversations in an organic way where I don't, I don't get to sit and think about questions that I want to ask him. I want the questions to be completely Holy spirit driven. And so as he talks, I will ask questions or I won't. And so um, the, the, the format of this Andrew has kind of changed over. You don't know this because these haven't released. I'm, I am nine episodes ahead of the release date right now. Um, Hmm. But they have gone, we talked about it a lot on the phone, how they've gone. Actually, so maybe you do know, we talked about it. Um, but they, they're not necessarily ABCD, um, linear testimony sharing. Um, it's mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, right now I'm sitting at C, stuck in C. My brain can't get out of C, but A and B contributed to that. So we can talk about it for a second. But right now I'm just, I feel like the Lord is pressing C on my heart. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I say C as in like, um, just if we were to go one, two, three, ABC. Um, so I'd love to give you the, the, the mic, um, and to just share what's on your heart, share, um, man, you prayed before this, uh, for, and your heart is for this project. It's for these men that are going to be listening to it, women who are listening to it. Um, and so, yeah, Andrew, thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. And I appreciate that it doesn't have to be clean and tidy because oftentimes when you get into testimonies, especially hard things, it becomes difficult to speak about with any uh, bit of clarity because sometimes you're still processing those things and you still don't know quite how to feel about it or what you're supposed to do with it. And so I appreciate you having the grace that what may come afterwards doesn't have to be perfect with a bow on it. So I guess... Uh, I'll just start with kind of the, I would say the big things, you know, for me, when I look back, everyone's got the, the everyday, you know, they're, they're born, they were raised, they probably went to school, they had friends, they didn't have friends, they did well, didn't do well, all that stuff. But above all of that, every day, there's the huge things that really transform you. As you're growing up, I'm 34 years old now. I think I'm a grown up now. And there were um, just a couple of huge things that really molded me growing up. Uh, so the the first would being would be being raised in a Christian home. Of course, uh, there's a lot of men. Thankfully, in this country, they're raised in a Christian household. God be praised. And. I accepted Christ at an early age. I was um, about 10 years old when I gave my life to the Lord, and I meant it. I I really remember specifically the moment sitting in this Awana's uh, room. And the, of all things, it was like one of those flannel graph presentations, if you remember yeah. those, yeah. which I miss those. But <laughs> they, the teaching was... Of all things, it was on the the punishment of sin, which is hell. And 
I, for some reason, I still find it remarkable to this day. That was what clicked it for me as far as who God was. Like I had heard a lot about his love growing up. My parents demonstrated that heard about uh, heaven and all the Bible stories and stuff. But something about really grasping hell was the missing piece of the puzzle that this God is worth following. I could even grasp it at 10 years old. This, this holy, perfect God is worth following because he, he offers this wonderful paradise despite this awful place of punishment at no cost to us being, haven't been paid through Christ. And it, like, I remember that clicking yeah. and so I really gave my life to the Lord in that moment. After that, for, <laughs> unfortunately growing in faith and also that, that dichotomy, you know, a lot of us go through, you have your faith moment. And then there's like two of you that appear as yeah. your life goes on. It's, there's the part that still holds to your faith, but the other part that increasingly walks away from it. The flesh in you. Yes, the flesh, definitely. And it starts early. I know sometimes as adults, we think that those huge, heavy thoughts and decisions don't come until you're an adult, but really you're wrestling it with that as a child. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, I think my first big major stumble was when I was 14, I was in middle school, and that was the first time that I ever looked at pornography. Mm-hmm. I had, unfortunately, in when I was 13, in a, a well-meaning guys group, they had been talking about sex-related topics, which spiked my curiosity. And unfortunately, at this point, as I'm 13, 14 years old, my family life was starting to disintegrate a bit. My mm-hmm. parents were not getting along, siblings and I weren't very close. And so for better or for worse, I didn't really have a, another check to just to, to run these uh this curiosity by about what sex is and the struggles about it. And uh, in hindsight, I don't know if it's a great idea to talk about such, you know, um, potentially very dangerous topics with you know young men without without a healthy family background. So mm-hmm. that that led into uh, a porn addiction that started at 14 and continued for a full decade into my marriage, nearly ruined my marriage, wow. uh, I was moved out for a while because I, I couldn't and wouldn't stop, wouldn't get the help that I needed. Um, and I'll talk more about that later. But that was that the way I medicated with the difficult things that were to come later through porn just so thoroughly corrupted my view on the life, the way it should work, how how women are. I mean, it doesn't just touch one little area of your life. It completely no. destroys your the Christian worldview. So um, that was that was a major problem that led into uh, once I left high school, um, I unfortunately, you know, I had been with a girl for a while, broke that off because of my porn problems, and then really kind of went off the the deep end. The typical college issues, you know, partying, drinking a ton, and yeah. Um, well, in hindsight, you wonder like, how are you still here? You know, mm-hmm. you have those terrible nights of, yeah, you know, just doing really stupid things when you drink too much and thinking, man, like, I'm. I remember actually when I started down that crazy path of like partying hard and just doing whatever I wanted. 
I remember telling God up front, like, God, I love you, but I need to do this for myself. Mm. Like, I need to see what this is like. And that all stemmed from the the problems that started with porn in the sense that I I believed I needed this escape. I needed to see what this world was about. I needed this to, to feel good about myself and, you know, alcohol and all, all the stuff that went along with that was just yeah. a, a further step down the wrong path. And uh, so at one point, as I'm going through college, somehow I'm keeping a job and going to school at the same time. It's like that whole, you know, functioning addict terminology mm-hmm. where I was hopelessly addicted to to porn and was drinking way too much. But somehow I kept a job and was going to school. And uh, during that time, my parents ended up getting divorced. It was not an amicable amicable divorce. It was a really nasty divorce. Uh, my parents still have nothing to do with each other. And uh, I remember very clearly the moment, this is the next kind of like huge moment for me. I remember the moment when kind of the culmination of this divergence of Andrew the Christian and Andrew the heathen yeah, uh, kind of yeah. had its, its moment when my parents were divorced and uh, I was driving home from community college at the time. And I just remember I was feeling so frankly, just sorry for myself. I was like, you know, my, my life, I knew my life was a mess. I I had such internal conflict and now my, my parents are getting split and it's nasty. And my family is all, my siblings are, we, at this point, we were all in different places of the the world really. Um, And so I just was having kind of a, a pity party as I was driving and at that moment, and I've I've heard this story repeated over and over in other uh, Christians' lives, but at that moment, that's when God spoke and was like, but look at everything you've done hmm. over the last, you know, however many years. Look at all the people that you've lied to, that you've cheated on, that you've betrayed, that you've left out to dry. And I, remember, I just had to pull over the car because I was just crying so hard like I, I finally got it that um so much of the bad things that were happening in my life were a result of my own sinful choices mm. sure there's some other bad things that happened but i did a lot of really bad things to people yeah and i'm just weeping and i'll never forget this song that was playing at the time it's funny how god uses whatever's available because it was a secular band you know the people on it not you know, i think there's yeah. It's funny, two people on the band, like one's a Christian, one's kind of a Christian and two people are definitely not Christians. But um, I remember at that moment, like the lyrics were basically just talking about um, finding a new way to live before it's too late. And, Mm. and, but also in that point that is, I remember the specific lyrics were as if they were talking to a friend, like, do not worry, my friend, don't make this call on your own, but find a new way to live before your fate is set in stone. And that phrase, the two words, my friend, that was what I felt like God was saying in that moment. I felt so wrecked. He had very clearly revealed the consequence of my sin. And then at that perfect moment, it's like he was still willing to say, you are my friend. I still consider you my friend. I still love you. And and this is the beginning of a new chapter. So uh, I would love to say that 
that was like this critical light coming in moment. And man, I just never looked back, but that's not what happened. I've, I found the, the strength to begin to change, but I was still addicted to porn, um, still struggling with drinking too much and partying. And what it ended up being was this re- really long, slow process to getting through those things. I ended up um, meeting my wife and she's a finance major like me. We yeah. met, uh, met in college and um, I, that, that was a great story. I won't go too much into it, but basically before even the first date, God was like, she's the one. Mm-hmm. And I know not everyone has that, but like next to salvation, that was like the most real, like punch to the gut. <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely real feeling I've ever had. Was like she's the one that I'm yeah. supposed to marry, marry. Um, and so we did. We ended up getting married, and uh, I let her father know before we got married that I was still struggling with porn. I thought that wow. was important to confess to him. I was like, if you want to give your blessing on this marriage, you have to know that this is something I've struggled with and I want to change, but um, this it's a real part of me. And uh, we, I mean, amazingly, it was kind of a, obviously after that, a, a fairly tense engagement and, but we did get married and the parents were on board with it. They were believing in me to, to change. And unfortunately I didn't. I, I got married and I stayed addicted to porn. I wasn't drinking so hard anymore, um, but I still would um, go out sometimes and get drunk when I shouldn't. And despite their parents, I mean, her parents were just, are, uh, they are the most, uh, some of the most amazing people you ever meet. And they took a chance on me and I blew it. Mm. And so I'm still living in sin and things are getting worse and worse. And unfortunately my wife's father then ends up, um, he had had pancreatic cancer before had had some major surgeries and was in remission for four years, a few years into our marriage, his cancer comes back Mm -hmm. and I'm still an addict. And basically I, at that point I decided I'm going to stop it. I'm not going to share, uh, because I was like, Leah's father is dying and uh leah's my wife's name sorry his her no. father's dying and she doesn't need to know that i still can't figure this out and that i'm still not handling this so i just started lying about it rather than just repeatedly confessing which is almost as useless and uh for eight months i lied straight kept it hidden until her father did pass away and uh, then about a month after, maybe less than a month, I couldn't bear the the guilt of continuing to lie anymore. And I was like, I'm still a porn addict. I'm sorry. Here's what's going on. And that's when things got really bad. And it was, it was such a wake up call to me. You know, she had wisely said like, we need to go to counseling. We need to do this stuff. And I resisted it for a while. I was like, yeah. do you know how expensive counseling is? I mean, it's a <laughs> it's, huge chunk of change. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, there's got to be another way other than counseling, but I had done men's groups and other stuff. And frankly, it was probably half-hearted on my part, which is why they didn't help as much as they should. But when it came clear to me that it was either we were going to go through some intensive counseling or we were going to get divorced because I won't stop. I was like, all right, we need to make this happen. Dang. Um, So we did. I mean, we invested almost $10,000 into counseling to save our marriage, to be totally honest, because 
we, there was so much um, damage that had that I need to peel back. I was super air. I didn't even realize how arrogant and prideful I was until thankfully this couple I was counseling us they were a great pair. One was really clear. I'm like, I don't think Andrew's ever going to change because he's so full of himself. And the other, the other one was like, I'm not going to give up. I, I think he really wants to change deep down inside. He's got a lot to work on, but deep down inside, he wants to change. And we just stuck with it. We just kept going to counseling. Um, we set some boundaries that would happen if I kept acting out in porn. Unfortunately, I did pass those boundaries a couple of times, which is why I was moved out for uh, a little over almost 45 days. Wow. And so I was moved out, but I kept doing the work. I was going to, um, 12 step recovery group for sex addiction. And, um, the beautiful thing is like, we made it through. We, we, I, I have been clean from porn for eight years. Wow. Uh, Hallelujah. And we, we made it through that. And, and such a, and I know that I'm going on and on. So if you want me to stop, Mitch. No, um, no, but, you're great. I, I, I am loving this so much because you don't realize how much of an answer to prayer you are, even in mm-hmm. sharing your st- story right now. Um, because a couple of weeks back, I talked with uh, Wally, who was um, a buddy of, uh, actually, he was actually referred to me in the similar way that you were, I had never met him. He's a buddy now, but mm. he is a sex therapist. And we mm. sat and talked for an hour about sex addiction and porn addiction. And I told him, I was like, I did this project for two years off mic. And I would say 80% of men told me they had issues with porn. Mm-hmm. I've now done 12 episodes and not one man has talked about porn because the mm-hmm. shame of it is so pervasive that they refuse to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, since then I've now had, th- we're episode 17 now he, I think he was 12 anyways, don't fact check me. Um, but <laughs> I've had three guys come on and n- talk about sex addiction or porn addiction in one way or another. And the fact that you're openly talking about it so unashamedly um, and the effects of it is a blessing. And so I don't even want to interject any more than what I just did. I just want you to keep talking because um, it is so important uh, for men to, I think once you're caught in it and once like the thing is, is like you're talking about it unashamedly because you realize the, uh, the destruction that it could play on your life. Mm. And so you realize it as a uh, man for you realize the power that it has. Um, I think a lot of these men who are listening to this might not have been ever caught in it. And so they don't understand the destructiveness of what they're doing in the dark. And so when they talk about it, there's shame attached to it because mm-hmm. they're like, I, I can hide it. I'm easy. It's easy to hide, but like for you hiding, it was the destruction. And so yeah. you're like, I'm not hiding it. I'll talk about it. And this is what, and like, this is the effect that it had on my marriage. And I had to move out of my house and pay 10,000. I think for me, the fact that you paid $10,000 is insane because my reasoning for not going to counseling for a long time was a hundred bucks a week. And I'm like, okay, I can't, I don't, I can't swing that. That sounds like a lot of money mm-hmm. and it is. Uh, but you're like, I paid 10 grand to save my marriage. Like, man, that's so cool. So anyways, I'm just gonna let you keep going. You keep going, but kudos to you. I appreciate you. And just, I'm encouraged by you already. And we're 
10 minutes in. <laughs> no, thank you for all the kind words. And I love what you said about the, the 10 grand. And it really, one of the major lessons for me in that was there should be no price tag on saving a marriage, on making mm. it a godly marriage. I mean, if you want to put it in simple financial terms, the 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 rate of return on living in mm. sin is negative. You're going to lose money. You're going to lose employment opportunities. You're going to lose relationships and all the things that help create for a successful, peaceful life in every dimension, which of which finances are a small part, those all go out the window when you choose to, to live in sin. Mm. We know from the Bible says that sometimes the, the wicked do succeed and they do flourish, but ultimately our riches are in heaven. You know, all of the riches we build on earth are going to burn up anyways. But if there should be no price tag on it, investing into save a marriage, because what you get as on the return of that investment is profound. But the really crazy part is like that was all leading up to the next major hurdle that I did not see coming. So my wife had uh, made a, a pretty good uh, boundary that I agreed with that she did not want to try for kids or have any kids until uh, I had been at least one year sober on porn addiction. She yeah. was like, I want to know it's the real deal before we go for kids. And we kind of like started trying a little bit for the one year mark, which I know is kind of an uh-oh, but the cool story is just uh, within two weeks after I hit my one year mark, I was working uh, at a corporation and I remember I was on break and uh, my wife surprised me uh and was like this i'm trying to remember the story but essentially i forget if i had looked at that morning or if she called me then but i remember specifically walking around the building because i found out we were pregnant <laughs> it was just it was two weeks after my one year. Uh, one year sobriety mark and i remember taking that lap around the building just feeling like such a weight off my shoulders like we did it we worked mm. so hard and here we are, like we're getting to reap the fruits of rebuilding our marriage. And now we get to start a family. And it was just such a special moment. So we go through the pregnancy, uh, fast forward, you know, we're building the nursery and doing all that great stuff. And um, at 34 weeks, my wife starts complaining of um, some major abdominal pain. And, you know, as you, uh, a husband of a pregnant wife, you probably know that like gas cramps are a big thing. And yeah. that's uh, exactly what the uh, OB office first said when she was, I was downstairs working and she was like, man, I really don't feel well. And it's just, she called her OB office and they're like, I'll take some Tums, you know, uh, it should help with yeah. that. And um, so she did. And about an hour later, she was like, just doubled over in pain. Like this, this does not seem right. And so she went to call the OB office again, but they were not available. They were like on lunch. So we ended up calling triage at the hospital to get another yeah. opinion. And they were like, you need to come in. We're just going to check you out and make sure that everything's okay. So we get there and uh, turns out she has something called help syndrome I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, have you heard of something called preeclampsia? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like preeclampsia, except it's not necessarily crazy high blood pressure. Okay. What happens is um, your basically your liver starts shutting down 
And you also start losing all of your platelets in your blood. And you can have mild cases or severe cases, but she had help syndrome. And that was in the afternoon that we checked in at about two or three o'clock at about three hours later at six o'clock, she was on the verge of bleeding out completely. They had to, we were in the hospital. She had a very severe case. It, your normal platelet count should be at a minimum around 150,000 per unit, whatever they yeah. check. Hers had plummeted to 22,000 and her wow. liver enzyme level, an average is about, uh, I think the, the metric is the ACL. It should be no more than um, around 60, 40 or 60. Hers was in the hundreds. And so she was, she was literally on the verge of dying there. And so I was not even allowed in the room. What, what happened was they came in and they ran these labs and they'd been monitoring her going to see if they could deliver the baby. That's the only cure is you can't have the baby in order to fix help syndrome. It's crazy. No one knows why, but it stops the syndrome. And uh, she, her numbers started crashing so fast that they were like, you need to sign this immediately. And I, they didn't let me go into the operating room. Uh, they had to transfuse her once with a unit of platelets to stabilize her blood while I was in the room. Apparently they had to transfuse her again while they were in the operating room. Cause they thought they were going to lose her. I wasn't there when my first son was born or delivered or anything. I was just outside praying that they would live. Wow. And, um, so the long, long story short there, she's alive. She's well, like praise God. Um, I will say that the not getting to see my son born did make it a little harder to attach up front. Mm. Um, but that was so really traumatic experience, but it's a good thing that our marriage was on a solid foundation because the next three months were completely unexpected. Mm. My son was born and they take him to the, the, neonatal intensive care unit. He's in the NICU and uh, they can't get his blood sugar up. And we're like, they were like that, that might be normal. And a lot of newborns have a hard time, especially if they're premature, they have a hard time regulating their blood sugar. Yeah. Um, so as Leah's kind of stabilizing and uh, which by the way, like you're getting no sleep and you're running back and forth. You've got one child in the NICU and you've got your wife who's like on 24 hour surveillance because they have to worry about seizures that happen afterwards that can uh, be very serious, but this is going on. And, um, you know, Leah gets better. She recovers, but, uh, Jedediah, our firstborn, they still can't control his blood sugar. It's still very low and, uh, you can't live with, blood sugar that's critically low it's how your brain gets its fuel to run your body if it's too low then you go into a coma or you pass away and so day after day keeps going they can't keep his blood sugar up and that's when they started exploring whether or not uh, they might have this really rare genetic condition or he might have this really rare genetic condition called hyperinsulinism, which I'd never heard of before Uh, it's essentially the opposite of diabetes diabetics they, um, their pancreas stops making something called insulin that helps turn like your, the carbs that you eat into energy. Yeah. And so that, that can be fatal. Hyperinsulin is the opposite where you have way too much insulin. And so it makes your blood sugar go super low and can result in your uh, imminent death very quickly if wow. you have a severe case of it. And unfortunately he did, he had the, the comp, the genetic combination that, um, basically 
the only cure was to re remove his pancreas completely surgically. Um, the, and this took a long time to get to that diagnosis. It's rare. There's not many, there's only two hospitals actually in the country turns out to have centers that even treat it. And so during that time, he got very, very sick. There were a few times we thought we were going to lose him um, before then. So you can imagine it's our first child. He's chronically ill, but like, praise God that we got our house in order before all this, because yeah. if, if I was still a porn addict, if I wasn't right with the Lord and my wife wasn't this, I mean, I can't imagine how much more difficult if we could have even made it through as a married couple. But unfortunately, one of the top reasons for divorce have to do, there are, there are higher rates of divorce of parents of medical needs kids than there are in the general population because the stress that comes yeah. along with caring for that. And um, so thankfully, Jedediah, they, he got the treatment he needed. We ended up having to fly out to a hospital in Philadelphia where they could actually perform the surgeries because they attempted to do them twice in Denver here in Colorado unsuccessfully, even though they're brilliant surgeons. I mean, they're yeah. a fantastic doctor team the whole time. I mean, everyone's just giving their everything to try and make this work. But eventually we have to go out to Philadelphia to the specialty center. They do How the old is Jedediah at this point? He's now six. He's so six he's, he's six today. But at, when you're flying out to Philadelphia, how old was he? He was a little over two months. Wow. Mm -hmm. Dang. So, yeah, it, I mean, yeah, that's something no parent ever sh should or, or you never want any child, any parent to have to see your child that way. I mean, and he was our first, so we didn't know how sick he was until yeah. like after the fact. You look back and you're like, oh, my gosh. But um, he's six today. We have him. It's wonderful. And there was some major growing pains with dealing with that. So when they took out his pancreas, he's now just like a diabetic plus some other things. Okay. So he, he's on an insulin pump and uh, we have to manage that, which uh, is not easy in a child. But, you know, like we're in it together as a team. The Lord's with us and we're, we're going through that. Um, and that created some really big questions for me as far as do we have more kids? because I saw all the suffering that he went through. I mean, that, and it was not small. And no. after one of his surgeries at, out in CHOP, they accidentally didn't have the right morphine hooked up for a drip. And so if you can imagine a baby without the painkillers they need after major invasive surgery. Without the ability and, to say, hey, this hurts, other than just screaming. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it was it was hard. And so I had to, Leah was as the theme that goes on over and over is that she is ahead of me in a lot of ways <laughs> when it comes to spiritual maturity, but she was on board with more kids, but it took me a couple of years before I was really comfortable with even thinking about it because I had to wrestle with like, would I be willing to do that to another child? I don't know. Um, but I, I credit God with giving me just like a little vision into Jedediah's future of having a moment where talking about this with Jedediah, I envisioned him looking at me and saying, well, I'm glad you had me. Like, I'm glad mm. that I'm here. You know, even mm. with his struggles, he is a happy boy. I mean, he likes to play with trucks and dig in the dirt and go running and stuff. I mean, yeah, he's got challenges, but he likes his life. He's got a loving household to be a part of. Yeah. And um, that led to the, uh, that led to the decision to say, let's go for it. Let's, let's try again. Um, and so after all that wrestling, you know, lots of walks 
late at night, you know, with my wife talking about this and we really want to be on the same page. We're like, we're going to, we're going to try again. And uh, we, this also, by the way, that includes knowing the risk of a repeat of help syndrome. Those women who get it have a high percentage likelihood of getting it again in a subsequent pregnancy. But we really felt that God was calling us to it. We were more prepared. We knew what to expect this time. I mean, all the doctors were going to be looking for all these things. And so we were like, let's go for it. Um, so after trying for a while, we end up getting pregnant again, which is awesome. Yeah. And, um, we decided to, uh, be as prepared as possible in case the next child had hyperinsulinism. It's a genetic condition. It's because mom has the genes and I have the genes. It's a combined, there's a chance that future children could have it. And we knew there was a medical procedure that could help us discover whether or not this next baby had hyperinsulinism um, before they were born. So we could make arrangements already to be out at the specialty center, get them taken care of. So they didn't have to go through the tremendous struggle that um, Jedediah did just to get to the specialty center. Yeah. Um, So we undergo the medical procedure and this was a little shy of 20 weeks. It's something called an amniocentesis. It's a little shy of 20 weeks um, during the amnio. You do get to find out the gender. And so we found yeah. out we were having a little girl, Okay, um, which was super exciting. And then three days after the amnio, we found Leah started complaining of cramping and that she had um, spotting that she was bleeding. And, uh, you know, my heart just sunk. I can remember it was the day of the air force flyover down here, um, in the Springs, perfectly sunny day. And we said, we need to go to the hospital. And, um, and so we get there and they treat, they bring us in and they, um, go ahead and do an ultrasound to make sure we're not early labor or anything. And the ultrasound comes up on the screen. And I knew before he even said it, there was no heartbeat that she had passed away. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm actually drinking from a coffee mug that has a little print of our daughter. Her name was uh, Olivia Grace. That's, Vizy. That's the name we gave her. Um, and you know, the first thing I'll say is I, kn- I know what it means to weep now. I mean, mm. when the absolute nightmare of that moment, when you're crying so hard, you wish you could just cry harder to somehow get the grief that's in you out of you. I mean, that's what weeping really is. You know, when, when it says Jesus wept over Jerusalem, I get that. I know what weeping really is. Mm. But the, the worst part or tied for the worst part was the doctors in the room and we're just crying our eyes out. And of course, the first question I want to ask is why? And, uh, and this first question I did ask is why? And the, as empathetically as I imagine he could have, but the first thing he said was it's probably due to the amniocentesis that we elected to do. And let me tell you, there is no bitterness, blackness, deep or dark enough to describe what it's like to feel like you're responsible for the death of your child. Mm. And because all I can think of is why didn't I read the material more closely that this was a risk? Why, how could I have been so stupid and 
you know, in hindsight, it may have not been the amnio, but that's what I was told. The first thing I was told. And let me tell you, I mean, it was just so earth shattering and, um, it's hard to put into words what happens after that. I mean, it was just months and months of, of going through just the worst grief ever. And I remember, you know, the first time back in church and I was looking around at everyone lifting their hands in worship. And I imagine this was not right to say, but I was like, look how foolish all these people are, you know, thinking that God's good and something good's going to happen. I'm like, cause for me, I it's what was weird is one of the first things that one of the beliefs that kind of went out the window for a moment was believing that there was an afterlife or a heaven or anything, because the intensity of the pain that I felt losing Olivia was so much more real than any sort of like pie in the sky, hope of something that I hadn't seen or experienced yet. It's like, it just overrode Hmm. any of that. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, we just went through months after, which is ironic because we just went through so much. I mean, I can't even tell you how much the processing had to go into like dealing with that. And, and I could spend so long talking about how to handle grief and God walking through just the deepest misery you can ever imagine. But ironically, um, later on, God was going to end up delivering me from that grief because what happened was we found ourselves, you know, we, it was about six months afterwards. And, uh, unfortunately grief takes a lot longer, a grief that deep takes a lot longer to process than just six months. Yeah. But my wife and I found ourselves unexpectedly pregnant again. Oh, we were were like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. That's what we said. Oh, wow. Um, and I remember thinking like, you know, okay, this is going to be the moment that God's really going to redeem Olivia's loss. Like Mm -hmm. we didn't lose faith. We trusted in the Lord and he got us through and now we're, we're pregnant again. And all right, like this baby, this next baby is going to be such a redemption story. And what happened was we miscarried and we lost that baby too. Like, uh, and that's when I really entered in kind of a depression where I just felt like I had no hope. I knew, I, I knew I should, I knew it all up here, but in my heart, I was just so deeply convinced that there was just nothing to look forward to. And I, thankfully my work offered me counseling services at the time. And having learned from my addiction, my addiction, addictive past, I knew when to ask for help. And I was like, I need help. I can't get out of this right now. And, um, just was able to process so much stuff with the counselor, um, get so much off my chest, but what really sealed the deal was, um, there was a night of prayer and worship at our church. And I just felt like I had to go. I was like, I need to be there. And um, I just, I worshiped as hard as I could. Uh, you know, I was like, Lord, I am so without hope. I'm so overthrown with sadness right now, but I'm just going to worship you. And uh, what I could say is, as, as much as a miracle can happen without actually you know, disrupting the physical universe, a miracle happened in my heart in the sense that like, God just spoke and said, do not give up. And the hopelessness just left. I knew there was more processing to do, but that oppression of like, I just can't find any reason for living anymore. It just left. 
It was mm. like the Holy Spirit just delivered me in that moment. Wow. So I'm a firm believer when people go through that stuff. Yes, you have to process it intellectually. Yes, you've got to process it emotionally, but you really need to take time with the Father to let him work in your heart too. Um, so we move past this terrible season of grief. Um, and there's a lot, there's some, you know, wonderful memories too. Like Jedediah is still growing up and yeah. we're seeing to see all those wonderful things happen. Lee and I still love each other. Um, but a lot of these big things, we talk about testimony. These are big things that have formed me. Yeah. So we walk through that season of grief. Um, and we find ourselves pregnant again. Like we want, we want, when we, we first were pregnant with Jedediah, the first thing I said was we're going to have such a big family because I've always wanted a big family. Yeah. And it's amazing how the first child is severely ill. Then we lose two more children. And it just seems like that wasn't in the cards for us, but we find ourselves pregnant again and so excited to find out it's a girl. Mm -hmm. Um, so, cause we really wanted a daughter. We were so worried over whether or not we lost our only chance to have a daughter when we lost Olivia. Um, and, uh, unfortunately though, um, hope strikes out uh, my daughter's name is hope and she gets hyperinsulinism too. Oh, and wow. so she gets the same genetic combination. So we have to do the same thing, head to Philadelphia. And, uh, man, though, let me tell you, that was kind of like a character growth moment for me in a different way, because when Jedediah was sick, so many people rallied around us. Like it was just this huge community of people that were supporting us, which we were so yeah. blessed by. And, you know, when you suffer, people take notice. And when hope was sick, there was really just not nearly as much of a support network there. Hmm. Like, um, I, to my shame, I say that, like, I expected more attention. I expected more. You can do this. I expected more. And it wasn't there. People kind of had like, <laughs> Sorry, my dog decided to find the squeaky toy. Um, right, go, go ahead. Um, but I, I, ex I expected more and, you know, I, God used that in a lot of ways, but the kind of the big growth area for me was like, look, it's not about like, it's not about the attention you get, the, the, the affirmation you get when you suffer. And like that, that can be, that's why some people are like addicted to depression, which sounds really mm -hmm. weird, but it's like, that's the only way they know how to get affirmation is by having bad things happen to them that people show pity on. And wow. that's the only way they can get affirmation. And God was like, look, you're kind of falling victim to this here. You want, you want the glory that comes from pushing through hard things rather than my glory and the glory of the kingdom. Wow. And so I really had to kind of swallow my pride through that, but, uh, hope is doing well. She's great. Um, we did lose another baby after hope, which was very difficult. Wow. Um, and then at long last, coming to the end of the testimony here. Um, there was a last year, um, I really was just trying to press into to the Lord and spiritual giftings and hearing him. And I frankly, I'm not sure if I heard from God or not, but there was a moment where I felt like God was saying that our next child would be healthy. And mm -hmm. uh, I was like, I'm just going to believe that. I'm just going to trust that because yeah. I don't got it all figured out, but I'm just going to trust that it was the Lord. And if you think of Peter walking on the water, what's really interesting is that he literally lost the miracle in the middle of the miracle. He was already walking on the water 
And then when he lost faith is when he sank. It's like he lost the miracle in the middle of it happening. And I was like, I don't want that to be me. And I got this fly. That's <laughs> here. Um, and so I just held on to that. And um, well, hallelujah, we had our last baby, Ezekiel, a wonderful baby boy, and he was healthy. Amen. And oh my Amen. gosh, it was such a relief, like not having to go to Philadelphia and simple things like when I need to take them on a car ride, I don't have to bring a ton of medical equipment with me. Yeah. <laughs> like when I go to the grocery store and I just want to take them with me and I never have to worry about his blood sugar being crazy overnight and checking on him. Like it just felt like wow. just a great gift from God after pressing through from addiction to um, grief to just the sheer s- stress and pressure of having kids with chronic medical needs. Cause hope had to do the same thing. Have her pancreas removed all that. And finally we get Ezekiel and he's this wonderful fat baby, <laughs> super healthy and what a joy. And he turns one in, in October. Oh, wow. Um, October what? October 20th. Wow. My baby's so, due October 25th. So maybe they will. share a a birthday well praise god for man for that for healthy babies but also just man hearing your story i i it's i just think of roller coasters (laughs) i Mm. think of like like i'm pregnant we're pregnant but there's a health issue and then i'm like you're way up and then you're low and then Mm. you're up and then you're like crashing low um and it's just, I'm, I'm honored to have heard your story and I'm like encouraged. Well, I just, I look up to you in the fact of you maintaining faith. And I know that mm. there is, there are moments when you're in it that you're probably sitting being like, yeah, well, you don't know when I was sitting here and questioning everything about God and mm. questioning everything about his goodness. Like you don't know about these moments when I didn't believe that God even existed, like you fools for lifting your hands in worship. Like, mm-hmm. um, but today you stand on the other side and like, I think to like, you got kicked in the gut so many times, but you stood <laughs> back up in your faith. Like mm-hmm. faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the, the, mm-hmm. what it, dang it, it's, it's Hebrews 11, the assurance of things hoped for the belief, uh, the, the, the promise of things in, not yet seen. There it goes. And so thank you. Um, that just shows if you're not on top of your Bible memorization, <laughs> it go like my wife and I spent four hours on our car ride home uh, from a wedding memorizing Hebrews 11, and I had it for like three weeks, and then I haven't recited it in a while, and <laughs> it's just completely gone. Um, but uh, you you had things seen in front of you, like you had mentioned, like you felt the grief, you saw the the tragedy of miscarriage, you felt trauma over and over again in like a compounding way yet you stayed steadfast in your faith in something that is unseen. And I just, um, man, it, it is, it's faith building for me. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard. Um, I can't even speak to it yet, but I, I can't imagine losing a baby um, mm-hmm. and the, the hope that you put into it. Um, so thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that hurt. Um, thank you for, 
I want to talk more about it, but I just want to get this all out before I before, <laughs> like, thank you for sharing about addiction. Cause I love the terminology that you use for the addiction. Like sobriety, man, like that is a term that a lot of times I hate how we, uh, isolate sexual addiction and, um, sexual mm. sin from all other types of sin as if it's its own breed. Um, mm-hmm. when in reality it's not, and it, and it needs to be handled in the same way. And so we talk about, I'm you're, uh, eight years sober. You had said, yep. Eight years sober and you, sober from addiction. Like, mm-hmm. like alcohol is an addiction. Sex is an addiction. And like, I think so often we, we neglect to handle, sex addiction because we neglect to look at it in the same lens that addiction is on a um sex sex addiction doesn't necessarily always have the physical manifestations that addiction uh with a drug or an alcohol does Mm -hmm. like you can easily hide your sex addiction Mm -hmm. um whereas if i'm drunk out in public you know i'm drunk out in public or if Mm -hmm. i have um tick marks on my arm, you might know that I am sticking a needle in my arm over and over. Like, um, you can hide. So how was your, um, because I've talked with a couple of men who the stumbling came when there was grief or there was stress Mm. to their sobriety. Um, you walked through your sobriety, uh, facing the most immense stress and trauma that I could imagine. Um, mm. h- how was that? How was, um, how, yeah. Could you walk me through that a little bit or just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And uh, real quick, the first thing I'll say is when you talk about inspiration, I hope that it is inspirational to the end that people real, they, anyone who listens to this can understand the tremendous ability uh, that a person is capable of and specifically in the Lord, what they are capable of, Mm. you know, they, no matter how hard the things are that we face, choice is never stripped from us. We always can make the choice to trust the Lord. We can make the choice to be real about the struggle. Anyone can do it. I mean, the, then there are people who have gone through much more difficult things than I have. I would say that I've earned my stripes, but people have gone through harder things and you can, no one can ever take your choice away from you. And I want to be a testimony to the fact that yes, my wife and I together as a family have chosen to stay faithful to the Lord. Also recognizing the faithfulness of other people to support us in prayer uh, with practical gifts and helps and also God's faithfulness, like in the times when I was really like, Lord, I believe in you, but like this much because I'm so yeah angry. Like right middle now, fingers you know? to you, but only you're only there enough so that I can continue to flip you off. Otherwise, <laughs> you're not. I don't necessary. know if I had, you know, I don't know if I ever got that to that point with God because no. he, I, I saw his goodness and in, in walking through me with addiction, but yeah, I yeah. did. Um, I did just have to be real with them. Like you let this happen. Like you let Uh, this happen and you can go through the the inspiration. I hope is that you can go through really hard things, be real and authentic, and you can always come out a better person on the other side. There's nothing that says you have to be a a lesser person, less valuable for the kingdom, less 
um, less able to achieve. None of that's true. You, everyone has a choice, but wow. Real, real quick before, before you answer my question, sure. what you just said reminds me, it bothers me so much when Philippians 4.13 is taken out of context that mm. people are like, I can achieve all these great things when in reality, Paul was in prison when he wrote that, like he was in the lowest of lows. He said, right. I can do like, I can withstand being in prison, like, because I have God with me. Like mm-hmm. what you said was like, pr- essentially sparks noting that verse where you're like, I was able to, my wife and I were able to withstand this because God, yeah. not like mm-hmm. I was able to get this job, like Philippians four thirteen. you know, I'm like, um, and I just love that you real life context that. So, sorry, um, continue. No, that's good. And it's, it's, I like that verse because it's the marriage of our responsibility, our choice with God's provision. Mm-hmm. I can do, I am the one doing it. I can yeah. do all things, but it's through Christ who yeah. strengthens me. Wow. And um, I think that's important to call out. But as far as getting through, you're absolutely right. When, no matter what your addiction is, and some people, there's that's there's a reason why workaholics are a thing. You're always getting something from it that's validating you, that's filling a legitimate need illegitimately. Mm-hmm. You know, it's corrupting God's design. We need relationship, we need love, and we're finding it in these really bad ways. Um, but to get through it, uh, I had a very strong, uh, I sought it out and it was offered to me very strong men's recovery groups that I could turn to. Well, I mean, I made phone calls regularly while I was out in Philadelphia to guys in my group saying, man, I'm feeling really tempted. I, you know, only am sleeping two to three hours a night because we are either in the hospital room or whatever. And like when you're hungry, uh, angry, lonely, tired, those are prime times when you want to give into your addiction because it helps medicate it for a second. And, but I just, um, stuck to the truth that I had learned in my recovery. Cause believe it or not, part of getting out of addiction, a lot of times is finding the truth that combats all the lies you were believing that mm. kept you stuck into addiction. So reminding myself of the truth and being connected with other men regularly, proactively calling them, seeking them out before I fell rather than after yeah. falling. Wow. Proactive versus reactive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. That's awesome. Good for you. That is Man, I just have people in my life that I, um, I'm walking with through addictions, and I think that this episode for them will be so encouraging uh, because, man, our our testimonies are our weapons. Like over and over, I keep saying that. Like, I think that you have faced such immense pain, um, both self-inflicted and also mm. otherwise received, and. Um, in the most, I mean, it's not, I don't want to downplay what this is, but like, this is not this huge, you're sharing your testimony. Um, and it is like, it is a weapon. You're putting purpose to the pain that you feel or have felt. And so that's so cool that, I don't know, I think sitting on the outside, I haven't, I'm obviously, I cannot put myself in your shoes, um, but you giving us a glimpse into that, um, it puts purpose to it. Uh, Shoot. I, how was, how did, cause as you did mention, I know, so there's two parts. Um, and again, any, if any of this touches, t- uh, trigger points or hmm. like, um, things that you don't want to talk about, I'm in, we, we, I'm in no way 
obligated or entitled to what you um, you're in no way obligated and I'm in no way entitled to mm-hmm. your to your information. Um, mm-hmm. But like, how did this affect you as a father and as a husband? Like, how did you because I talking with Mark, um, I know that one of the things that he 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 alluded to and has talked, he's on my wife's team. So they, mm-hmm. I see Mark multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the stress that it puts on him and Renee's marriage. Um, mm-hmm. I know the stress that they both feel of, um, of their daughter who is uh, neurotypical, um, not getting the attention that their son who is not mm. uh, gets and balancing that. So, um, Ezekiel is healthy um, while your, your first two are not, or are not, um, they just have more needs um, from a medical standpoint. Um, and if my vocabulary is offensive, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I don't, I know that there are certain things that you, that um, especially in the circles that are developed through parents who have children who are dealing with stuff that you guys wrestle with. There are certain things that I, I, I don't say the correct way. Um, and so I apologize for my ignorance, but, um, how has that been like balancing, um, from a father's standpoint? Cause I know that there's gotta be mental, um, war going on between your ears. Yeah. So, uh, we're in a really good transition point, my wife and I, on that very subject, I would say that for for most of managing the kids' medical needs and dealing with all this stuff, her and I both ha- are innately extremely driven people. I married a woman who, when she chose to be a stay-at-home mom, but before that, she was a very successful financial professional. She uh, knows how to work hard, very organized, which when you're managing medical needs, Mark probably told you, like, you really need to be organized because yeah, yeah. you need to, like know when to give the medication and know that's not too much and all this stuff. And so we, what I would say, we managed the tasks really well together, but it's not enough. So for years, we've done that. We've been married a little over 10 years and Jedediah is six. We've had kids for over six years. And um, there's, there's this kind of evolution of figuring out, okay, how do we manage the tasks? How do we, how do we make life normal ish? Um, so where not every day is a crisis, but then something is missing from that, which we're actively working on right now, which is leadership mm-hmm. because two people can go through really hard things. A married couple can go through really hard things and they can get really good at managing all the, the tasks of keeping the house clean, keeping the kids healthy, getting them educated, all that stuff. But you're doing those things just because you're supposed to, but you are not actually moving towards something greater. And um, for us, it kind of became clear, especially with COVID, as it created a ton of pressure as far as decision-making on us. Like, do we put our kids in school? Do we not? Because COVID seems to be harder on diabetics, but it's easier on children. What do we do? And uh, my half the family is anti-vaccine, half the family is pro-vaccine. And masks and no masks, all that stuff, just a million questions. And what became clear is there was not clear leadership in the home. Mm-hmm. Leah, Leah um, and I both have done a lot of work to become good Christ followers, to live according to his way. But a skill that we lacked was leadership in the home. 
I was raised in the mindset that a man is the main provider in the house, but not the main leader in the house. Mm-hmm. That the Adam and Eve model in the garden was a provider model where Adam gets, he manages the garden and Eve helps him and not understanding that it's really a leadership model. And so I think for the successful transition and growth in uh, as a married couple and as, as a husband and a father um, it's got to move away from just doing the daily things to help your kids survive, doing those with excellence to actually leading to something so as we, um, as we speak, I'm almost done with this book, actually. Uh, Wooden on Leadership, John Wooden. I have the, that book sitting on my bookshelf right behind dude, It's amazing. Uh, about Christian, winning as college basketball coach in history, but I'm doing that to develop my leadership skills. Lee and I have sat down and gone through two drafts of a family charter that we are going to um, make into a custom thing and hang it up on our house it's like, these are based on biblical principles. These are the principles we're going to lead to and live by as a family. Um, and I think that that really is the next step to um, creating a, a happy and peaceful household is going beyond just who's owning the tasks really well and doing them well to saying who's leading the family and leading there. And in our house, we co-lead. I'm I'm the buck. I'm like the man of the house. So I'm the leader, but Leah also co-leads with me because we're leading the kids. Um, And so I would say that's, that's how it's kind of affected me as a husband and father is moving is learning to manage the tasks well, and then moving from just doing stuff well to leading well Mm. and working on that. That's really cool. Yeah. I think, I think that there has been this cool theme I don't know if it's cool. Yeah, this cool theme of these men that I've spoken with who have experienced immense trauma, but they're able to find the positive in it and cling mm. to that. Like I recently, again, I keep coming back to Wally, but Wally lost his wife um, with an eight-year-old and a 13-year-old daughter. Mm. Um, wow. And he... And then I had a friend, Jackson, who his sister, he lost his sister, who was his best friend. And both of them were able to say those were the two most traumatic experiences of our lives. Like that was the most, like the most heart wrenching, darkest moments of my life. Mm. But it's because of those moments that I was, my passions were illuminated. I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Mm. And I lived the life that I live today because of those moments. And so there's this tension of, I hate those moments, Mm. but also somehow they're able to be thankful that like, not that it happened, but there was, they were able to find the good in it. Um, And I think that that's similar to like, you're able to illuminate, Hey, I need to be a better leader. I'm a great dad. I'm a great husband but maybe this is just a weak point for me. It's a bl- like, I think a lot of, which is not a bad thing. Like everybody, like, I think that it takes, um, I believe personally that like everybody has blind spots and there are things that um, are able to go uncorrected or the thing is, is like, you probably weren't a bad leader. Like <laughs> you probably were not a bad leader. You were leading in the fine capacity. Your family is, you were leading in the way that you needed to be leading 
given the circumstances that you were walking in. Mm. But there, that doesn't mean that there aren't like C is a passing grade, but it's not an A. Like, like there are things that I'm really good at math and I'm good at writing. History is awful. Maybe I need to put more time into history and Mm. like you're putting more time into leadership and that's, um, it's growth. It's growth from, I think trauma has this ability to, to knock you down completely, like to put you to your knees, um, to essentially just like decimate. I, I picture this like life that you had built as like a building and then, um, it completely decimates it down to the foundation and then allows you to rebuild from on top of that. Mm. Uh, and, I've never experienced trauma in the way that you have. Um, I've experienced trauma and I don't think that there is, you experience it differently than I think that I don't believe that that one person's trauma is greater than another person's trauma. I think that there are, because you all experience trauma differently. I think there are levels to it in the fact of like, yeah, you lost your, you lost kids. Um, That sucks so, so much, but there are people who lost husbands and wives like who's to say that the loss of somebody what what how do you assign weight to that you know what i mean and so Mm. um you you've taken trauma and you've you haven't allowed it to destroy you and Mm. that's encouraging that's on that's that is um admirable and so thank you uh for for being an example um i'm so honored to have met you um i I feel a little bit like I want to meet your kids. Not a little bit. Like I keep, like I keep, I'm like, are they there? I want to say hi. Um, but uh, that's, it's, and remind me one more time on your wife's name. It was. Um, Her name is Leah. Leah. You've said that multiple times. That's okay. um, Man, your wife is, is a, a warrior too. Mm. Um, I think being because i have an addiction i'm addicted to i have a i have a eating disorder and that is an addiction Mm -hmm. that and um and i it has the reason why i went to counseling was because it was my wife almost ended our engagement when we were engaged because i was projecting my eating onto her and she's like i've never dealt with this in my life like Mm -hmm. and now i'm starting to have thoughts that you are and like i'm i refuse like i refuse to for you to do that again, she, she, in that moment had never dealt with someone who was addicted to hating themselves. Um, Mm. and I have such a respect for the people who are married to people who are addicts because they put up and they fight for you. And so, um, Mm. your wife is amazing. I've never met her, but, um, I just know that she is, um, so congrats on finding someone who is amazing. Oh, man, the oh Lord, <laughs> completely. But you're 100% right. I mean, she could have left me so many times. And then, you know, she could have had her own negative, like destructive ways to act out the stress of raising medical needs kids. But I'm like, she's just rocking it. <laughs> like, she's, it's not that she's not being real about how hard it is some days, but I'm like, she's doing it and doing it. Well, I'm, I am always just profoundly impressed by her whenever I think about all that she has stuck with and achieved. Yeah. yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, you are too. And I, I know that you have a hard stop here mm. coming up. Uh, and I don't want, I want to give you, 
I think you have, you said you had a meeting at 1030. And so I don't want to run this all the way right up to it so that you're rushing. Um, but Andrew, thank you for coming on. Do you have any last minute? Didn't get to say this. Want to say this thoughts? Cause if not, I I want to give Mm. you, I don't want to cut you off before you are, um, tapped out. The last thing I'll say is this, because it's kind of the theme of my testimony. I wish and look forward to the day when suffering is not necessary for growth. Hmm. That will be a great day. But until that day, we need to be committed to being real about how hard it is, the things that we're facing, whether it's our own sin that we need to confront or the absolute fallenness of the world around us. and we need to recognize the opportunity that exists within the suffering. That was a a big thing that I wish I grasped earlier was that like Paul says, our our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character, hope is that God has purpose for pain. He produces something even greater on the other side of pain than we can see before that. And I hope that uh, I don't want people, sometimes we hear that and think, oh, we have to have rose colored glasses on suffering. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is we need to be absolutely real about how hard it is, but also be absolutely committed to seeing the best and the opportunity that exists in the hard things. Job, after he went through all of his misery, was doubly blessed on the other side. And I consider myself that way. I am a much better man of God now than I was 10 years ago or 15 years ago as a result of these things. Again, it would be great to have a perfect, wonderful relationship with God and others without suffering. But until such a day as we are sinless and with the Lord, that's not going to happen. So when suffering comes to people who are listening to this podcast, be real, but also seek to, to look for the best in it. And the great things will come on the other side as you continue to trust in the Lord and do those things. Wow. Well, Andrew, I don't even want to add to that because that was so beautifully spoken and so beautifully articulate, as I can't even talk, beautifully articulated. (laughs) Um, Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your testimony. Thank you for uh, being vulnerable, also transparent, because I believe that they're different. Um, And for um, allowing me to come alongside you in sharing this um, for inviting me to partner with you in that, um, which is an honor. And so until next time, have a great week, you guys. Peace. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah. All right, dude. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the over a drink podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the over a drink podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee 
that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace.